We're going to talk about 10 things to love about Jesus. These are 10 things I love about Jesus. And I hope that there are 10 things you'll love about Jesus too. We're going to start by looking at 10 things that surface from the very beginning of John's gospel. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John 1 with me. I'm going to give you a little background to John. John was the disciple that was closest to Jesus uh, relationally. They had a very special and intimate relationship. And I think that that is going to come out in some of these characteristics. John is talking to us from his personal experience of Jesus and telling us the truth of God in human flesh who came and dwelt on this earth. And it's going to be very special to hear what John says. Now, John writes this book from Ephesus. Most scholars believe towards the end of his life. That's actually a picture of some of the runes in Ephesus. And right there in the center with the pillars is where they believe is John's grave. And so this is written by Jesus' disciple John, probably from Ephesus. And I just want to let you know, most of you know this, but I want to tell you a little bit about the background to Jesus. When we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about the, the Christian fairy tale or our particular faith, the, world, the way the world would say faith. It's not just something that we wish were true and that we want to believe is true. We are talking about a historical person that lived and walked on this planet. Throughout all the Old Testament, there were over a hundred, some would say over 300 prophecies foretelling exactly who to look for. And then Jesus came and fulfilled those beyond all statistical possibilities. He alone fulfilled those prophetic uh, statements. And then history is clear that Jesus really did walk this earth and the things that we read about him in scripture are accurate. You know, even at the time that Jesus walked this earth, Tiberius was the Caesar that oversaw the Roman world. We have about four times as much historical evidence for Jesus as for Tiberius. Isn't that phenomenal? Let me just tell you, it's not even all just in scripture. There's even evidence for Christ outside scripture. And that corroborates what we read inside scripture. Some of the statements outside of scripture tell us that Jesus was wise, influential, could accurately predict the future, and he had supernatural powers. Sound like the Jesus we're talking about here? Absolutely. He was crucified under Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Uh, there was an earthquake and darkness at the point of his crucifixion. Did you know that's even recorded outside the Bible? Amazing, right? He demonstrated his wounds to his disciples as proof of his resurrection. And his followers believed he was God and followed a high moral code, met regularly to worship him, and were even persecuted for their faith in him. Those, those statements outside of Scripture corroborate what we read inside of Scripture. And what we see in the Gospels is eyewitness testimony from John, from Matthew, and then, of course, Mark records what he learned from Peter, and Luke records what, what, he, what he learned from investigating those that spent time with Jesus. Right? What we see here is truth. This is the truth of Jesus. So if you want to know about Jesus, this is a really good place to start, looking at John. I just want to start by saying Jesus is the only one who loved me and you enough to come from heaven to us. He's the only one that ever died for my sins. He's the only one in human history that demonstrated power over death. He alone is worth my life. He alone is worth my time, my energy, my money. He alone is worth pursuing and following and loving. 
And it's only through him that we experience true joy and satisfaction in this life. And he's the only way that we could ever experience eternal life. He's it. Paul tells the Corinthians there's no other foundation than Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation. So that is who we're going to talk about today. So turn to John 1, 1 through 18. We're not going to read it all, all at once. I'm going to break it down piece by piece. But I'm going to violate the fundamental rule of preaching this morning. Uh, We're going to have a 10-point sermon. (laughs) Okay? Ten things we love about Jesus. You don't have to remember all of it. I don't, I don't imagine you will. Just let the word speak to you. Let, let what we read here speak to you. And, and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart this morning as we speak. Okay, number one is deity. This, for me, growing up was a tremendous source of doubt. I remember when I was about ten years old, some Jehovah's Witnesses whispered in my ear in Antigua, Guatemala, where we were missionaries at the time, Jesus is not God. And that little seed of doubt got real deep into me, and I, I struggled with it for many, many years. Well, I'll tell you what, as I struggled with it and looked at Scripture, I became convinced that Jesus really was exactly who Scripture says he is, God in human flesh. Let's read verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus is God, the creator of all things. You can know that without any shadow of a doubt. Jesus in John 8 said, I am, referring to this Old Testament statement of of deity, calling himself the very name of God. There are many references to Christ's deity throughout Scripture, some clearer than others. Uh, We see clear references, like Matthew calling him God with us, right? We see supporting passages that, that tell us that Jesus is God, like in Mark 2, where he claims to have power to forgive sins, where he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, clear references to deity. We see Old Testament prophecies that told us that this coming Messiah would be God, Like in Zechariah 11, right, where it says God himself, Yahweh God, says that they valued me with 30 pieces of silver. And in the very next chapter, Yahweh God says they'll look on me whom they have pierced. Right, we see these prophetic statements that corroborate the deity of Christ. We see see shared attributes between God and Jesus throughout scripture. Isaiah, we look in the Old Testament in chapter 40, it says that, God is the creator. In John 1, we just read that Jesus is the creator. Uh, We see Trinitarian passages like the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Words that are used in the Greek that we might miss, the word Lord that is used for Jesus hundreds and hundreds of times, is also used every time the New Testament writers translate the Old Testament word Yahweh. Uh, There are so many different passages that that tell us Jesus really is God. The Son of Man title that Jesus used to refer to himself was the title that Daniel used to describe the judge of the earth that would judge all people of all times. And Caiaphas tore his clothes when Jesus referred to himself with that title, knowing it was a reference to deity. One of my favorites is uh, the, the title Son of God. We might see Son of God and fail to realize all that that term means. But 
in that society, the family you were born in determined your social class. And throughout the Roman world, people wrote out their cursus honorum. It, it literally just translates honors race, and it was a description of who they were. And it always started with, I am so-and-so, son of so-and-so. Because the family you were born into determined the class that you had. Jesus was God in human flesh. He was the God class. You could not achieve that. You could not earn that. But that was his very nature, which we read in Philippians 2. I'll come back to that in a minute. So Jesus is God. That's something to love about God and to love about Jesus. That God himself would come to this earth to, come, to reach you and me where we were at in a way that we could never go to him. The, the second is life. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of you enjoy being alive, right? Jesus is the source of life. Let's read verse 4. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus claimed in John 14 to be life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? In, in John 10.10, 10, uh, he, he says <clears throat> that he offers the abundant life. Right? To, to all believers. He called himself the bread of life and the source of living water. There's no other way that we will experience true life outside of Jesus. If anything is going wrong in your life, I'm not talking about circumstances because circumstances do all sorts of things. But whenever we get to that point of, of a lack of peace, a lack of satisfaction, a lack of joy in this world, there is a lack of Jesus at that point. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he alone gives us true life. He alone satisfies us in the core of our being. Augustine put it well. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right? That true life is only found in Jesus. He is the author of life and only the author of life can offer us abundant life and eternal life. That's one thing I love about Jesus. The third is light. I don't particularly like the dark. I hunt a lot. And a lot of times we find ourselves hiking in the dark to get into who knows where ahead of the light. And sometimes I'll be hiking through the dark and I'll see eyes peering back at me. And I always think, man, I hope that's a deer or an elk. <laughs> Not a mountain lion watching me or something like that. Uh, but there's something about the dark that I think a lot of us don't appreciate. And it's even more so when we think of that in spiritual terms. The darkness of this world that is so pervasive. The evil that we see all around us. And here in Jesus, we have the light of the world. He says that of himself in John 8. I am the light of the world. My wife and I, we have worked with college students for many, many years. A couple decades, actually. And we would often take them caving. We'd get back into the middle of a cave. And in the middle of that cave, we'd have everybody turn off their lights. And it would be as dark as could be, right? And without light, you had no hope of getting out. Let's read what, what we read here about the light of the world. In him was life, and that, light was the light, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus, the light that shines in the darkness, the only true light in this world. 
Okay, the fact that God himself, the source of life, the only true light would come into this world is an absolute demonstration of humility. In John 1, 10 through 11, we read, He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is unbelievable that God himself would come to this earth and not be recognized as God. The ultimate act of humility. We read in Philippians 2 that even though he was in very nature God, he came to this earth and became a man. Even a slave, all the way to the point of death on a cross, the most humiliating possible death. I told you about the Roman cursus honorum, right? Well, in Philippians 2, Paul is writing Jesus' cursus honorum. Uh, Joseph Hellerman goes into depth about that. And he absolutely flips what everybody else in the Roman world was doing. Throughout the Roman world, people tried to say, I am this high, this high, this high. This is the family I was born into. These are my accomplishments. These are my, all, my, all the power that I have. It was a description of how powerful you were. And Paul says, Jesus, he flipped it. Even though he was the highest possible, he became the lowest for us. This was just stunning that God himself would come to this earth and demonstrate such humility. And he did it to save you and me. And that's the fifth thing I love about Jesus. It's salvation. Let's read verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came to save sinners, just like you and me. He humbled himself, not just because he thought it would be a fun thing to do. He did it to reach you. He did it to reach me. He did it because he loved us. That's why he came to this earth. And he says in John 10 that I am the door, talking of salvation. He's the only way in. There's no other salvation. There's no other way. He called himself in the very next chapter, the resurrection and the life. That was another major fear I had, was the fear of death. I remember a time in my life where I went to a church just like this one. And I heard the message every week, but I didn't quite understand it. And fear and sadness and doubt were the fundamental things that I remember from those young years. And then one day, I don't know why, but there was a missionary speaking in the children's church. And I understood the gospel, that God himself loved me even though I was a sinner. And he came to this earth to die for my sins so that through believing in him, I could be forgiven. And I took that step that day and said yes to him. And I put my faith and trust in him and he changed me. My fear, he turned to boldness. My sadness to joy. My doubt to confidence that he's as real as the air I breathe. He saved me. And that is the most amazing thing that God would come to me to reach me where I was at, to save me, to give me an abundant life on this planet and an eternal life with him in heaven. Definitely something to love about Jesus. Okay, next is his glory, right? We see this uh, in an amazing way in Jesus. Reading in verse 14, it says, We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father. See, in Romans 1.20, we read that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in nature. If you just looked at nature, you could know that 
a self-existent cause must be required for the cause of the whole universe, that that self-existent cause is eternal because time began at creation, that self-existent cause is all-powerful because it created everything, we could learn these attributes of God. And those are truly attributes of God. But the glory of God, His character, His love, His acts, what He has done for us, that we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus came and demonstrated those for a world that did not know them. And he tells the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? If you've seen me, you've seen God. He demonstrated for us on this planet the very glory of God. And it's only seen in Jesus. Right? This is something that, that is mind-boggling, that God would love us so much and come and do what Jesus did to show us The very nature of God. Next is humanity. Being full of glory, being God in human flesh, he came, like I said, humbled himself and became a man. But this is also something to love about Jesus. The fact that he was fully human. In John 1, 14 through 15, we read, The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and explained, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. See, the eternal God of the universe that was not created came and dwelt among us and became fully man. This is a really hard concept to understand. In Colossians 2, we read that the fullness of the deity lives in Jesus Christ in bodily form. A great analogy that Aaron and I read when we were doing seminary together was a three-legged race. Uh, You can take the fastest runner in the world and tie him to me, and he's only going to be as fast as me. (laughs) Okay? Jesus did not give up his deity when he came to this earth. He never gave that up. But he took on our humanity. Right? He strapped himself to humanity. Uh, And he did that for us. He became a man. He knows everything you've ever dealt with. He knows your temptations. He knows your fears. He knows your desires. He knows it all. And he can relate to you both as God and man in a way that no one else can. I mean, this is phenomenal. No one even talks about a God like this. Right? There's no no description of this anywhere in all the literature of the universe. This is too good not to be true. This is God himself revealing something that humans can't come up with. Grace. In John 1, 16-17, we read, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. His grace is the very goodness of God that I don't deserve in my own right. But because I've put my faith in him and I am his child, that is now the truth of my life. I can live every day with the expectation of his grace. And this is something that should define my life now. In 1 Peter, we read in chapter 5, stand firm in that grace. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the knowledge that you are not walking out a performance-based acceptance walk with the Lord. You are walking in the very goodness and grace of God given to you simply because of God's love for you that you receive through faith. You don't wake up having to earn that day after day. You wake up every day knowing that you can walk in that grace. 
You can extend that grace to others, and you can share that grace with a world that desperately needs it. This we see in Jesus. And we see the perfect complement to that, which is truth. Right? The whole universe is yearning for truth. Even the postmoderns that claim there is no truth recognize that that, in its own right, is a statement of truth. They want to know what's true, even if they don't think they want to know what's true. We all desperately want to know what is real, and we do not like being lied to. Jesus himself is the truth. Let me read again, right there in verse 17, it says, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the source of truth. In John 14, again, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just one that tells the truth. He himself is the truth. You know, I love apologetics because we talk about the defense of the Christian faith. And we live in an incredible time. Whether you're talking science, philosophy, history, you name it, archaeology, it all confirms that what we read in Scripture is accurate and true. And we're finding these things, I mean, it's now at such a rate that over and over, I think in the last six months they found two archaeological references for Pilate in addition to one that they already had. I mean, it's just feverish. Last year they found the signature of Isaiah the prophet, his imprint that he would use, uh, in addition to many others. Archaeology is amazing. Science is amazing. Philosophy is amazing. And they're telling us that what we read in Scripture is true. I love apologetics, but I love it because it tells me that the truth is true. This is not just a myth. It's not just an idea. This is true. When people try to say there is no truth, you've probably heard this before, and you've probably heard the answer. I hinted at it a minute ago. That itself is a truth claim. It's what philosophers call autophagic. It eats itself up. In other words, if it's true that there is no truth, then it's false, because at least one thing is true. (laughs) And if it's not true, then it's false. So whether it's true or false, it's false, if that makes sense. It's a statement that philosophers call autophagic. It's a nonsense statement. And there are many that you'll hear and you'll definitely see them on bumper stickers quite often. The reality is truth is there and we can know truth through Jesus. Okay, 10th, I want to talk about Revelation. The final verse here, verse 18, says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Revelation. What would we do if we did not know? We couldn't imagine this or come up with this on our own. Jesus came and revealed God to us, revealed truth to us, revealed the way of salvation to us. Remember, When the disciples said, we don't know the way, and Jesus said again, I am the way. He is the way of salvation, and he revealed that to us. And he said he was the good shepherd that would lead us along that way. See, a lot of people hate the exclusivity of Christ. I hear that all the time. Jesus was good, but why was he so exclusive? Why did he say he was the only way? I have a very good friend that put a really good context on this. He said, look, if, if I don't like you very much, but I want to kind of fake it like I like you, I might say something like, yeah, you should come over sometime, right? Not going to tell you where, not going to tell you when, and I know that my very inclusive instructions are going to guarantee that you never come over, <laughs> right? But he goes, if I really do love you, I'm going to give you very exclusive directions. 
I'm going to tell you when to come. I'm going to tell you what turns to take. I'm going to tell you how to get there. And it will be exclusive directions for an inclusive purpose. I want to include you in what I'm doing, so I'm giving you exclusive directions. The exclusivity of Christ, the fact that he would say, I am the only way, he says precisely to bring in, not to keep out. Right? His exclusivity is true, and he alone reveals the way of salvation. Okay, you probably can't remember all ten of those points that we just talked about, uh, and I'm not going to quiz you. But if there was one thing you could take away from this morning, let's say you're talking to a coworker about what you heard. I think this guy totally butchered it and did 10 points. It was crazy. I can't remember any of them. You could remember this one. And that's love. This is the summary of those 10. If you had to think of one word that kind of captures all those, it's love. The very nature of God, we read, by this same author in John, In 1 John, he writes, in chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. So if you're trying to remember all these ten attributes and you can't remember them all, at least remember that Jesus was the perfect illustration of love. An illustration of love unlike any this world has ever seen before. And he today is calling you to himself. If you do not know him, he is calling you to himself. If you do know him, he is inviting you into a deeper walk with him, even now, even this morning. If you don't know him, I want you to hear his very words to you today. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. And he came to this earth to die for your sins, so you would not have to be separated from God. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. We live in a world where that is absolutely the case. Sin dominates the headlines. Sin dominates the world. Sin dominates the culture. That is humanity at its best. And in the middle of that, Jesus warns us that not even our best religious works in Matthew 7 will get us out of the penalty of that sin. But, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. God himself died on the cross. And he did it to pay the penalty for my sins and yours so that each of us could be with him forever through faith. He promises everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. That's his promise. If I will look to him and believe in him, if I will surrender my life to him through faith, he says, I will be with him in heaven forever, and I will not have to worry about the punishment of hell. Because he made a way. It's his grace to me. He says that in Ephesians 2, right? That it's by grace we've been saved through faith. If you recognize that you're a sinner that needs a savior, he says, right now is the time. He says, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. If you've never taken that step to to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just pray with me right now. A prayer doesn't save you, but it's a great way to express your faith to God. Jesus talks about a tax collector in Luke 18 that said, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And, God said, and Jesus said that day he went home justified, 
with God. So close your eyes with me. If you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, I ask you just to repeat this with me right in your mind. You don't have to belt it out out loud, but say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today, I acknowledge you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for coming into my life and making me the kind of person you want me to be. Now, if you, if you made that decision today before everybody opens their eyes, please lift a hand and let me know that's you. I'd love to be able to connect with you and, and encourage you a little bit in your faith. And you can also come up with us in a minute. We'll be up here in the front, and we'd love to talk with you more if you'd like to come up to the front as a demonstration of that decision as well. Well, amen. If you, if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, most of you in here do. I know that's true. Remember what John again writes in the very end of the New Testament in Revelation 2-4, right? Jesus is warning to the church in, in Revelation 2-4 that they'd forgotten their first love, right? Uh, let's remember these things and draw near to the Lord. Let's remember these things and push into him and pursue him and grow close to him. I promise you that that will lead to the fruitfulness that he has for you. That will lead to the joy and the peace and the satisfaction in this life that only comes through him. But it comes only through him. So if you do already know him, I encourage you, press into him today. Grow close to him today. And let him fill you with joy and peace. In the way that only he can. Well, thanks for having me this morning to share about Jesus. I hope you were encouraged by it. And again, thanks for having me.